You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. Backed by popular demand is veteran bond and macro investor James Lavish. As many are aware, Japan's update to their yield curve control and unexpected bond buying programs are demonstrating enormous pressures in the global macro setup. James and I cover all of these emerging results. We cover the increasing systemic risk growing in the markets, whether deflation is starting to take hold in the U.S. economy, and whether that'll have any kind of impact on Europe getting its inflation under control. All of this, among many other topics, and this is a conversation you guys are not going to want to miss. So here's my chat with James Lavish. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here again with James Lavish. James, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Preston. Always, always a good night to talk to you. I'm thrilled to have you here because there's a lot of stuff I want to ask you. First and foremost, how is your Christmas going? It's busy, but it's good. <laughs> you know, it's always good to see family. Everybody's coming in. Now that I live out in the West, people are coming here more. It's fun to come to Vegas, right? But now with adult kids, you just don't celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. So we celebrated one Christmas last night with part of the family. We're going to have another one, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then another one with my kids. It's just... Just keeps rolling. It's it's like Christmas month. So, <laughs> but it's good. That's good. That's <laughs> We're good. blessed. I'm thankful. Super thankful and fortunate. That's fantastic. Yeah. How about you? How's yours? Uh, good. Yeah, we're doing good. Just uh, laying low. Those are the best ones, you know, when there's not too much planned. We're uh, staying busy. I'm, I've been having fun with this Noster. Have you heard of the, this Noster thing? I, like I said, I've been pretty busy with, and we can talk about the other stuff I've been working on later, but I've seen you guys riffing on this. Posting and, on, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and posting it on Twitter. And I pulled it up. I actually have a window on it open that mm-hmm. one of you guys posted, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Dude, what, it's crazy. Yeah. What I mean, is it? Like, um, it's Noster? Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, no, like Nostradamus, so probably oh, Noster. Noster. Yeah. Noster. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, like, so I think Noster, Noster pill me. Noster. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the simplest way I could describe it is they're decentralizing Twitter right now. Just a bunch really? of, like, like Bitcoin, you know, you got a rogue group of shadowy psychopaths, super, coders, super, super coders. coders that are out there just <laughs> decentralizing money. Now they're doing it with uh, free speech and, and Twitter and I'm no expert on on the intricacies of it, but I opened up an account. I created private keys, just like you know, with Bitcoin, you got private keys, and then you have a public address associated with those private keys, and basically created an account. And you just wouldn't believe how Twitter like the experience is so far. Really? Yeah. All right. And so then, so yeah, so it's. I mean, it's a protocol. Anybody can just build basically an app on their phone or their desktop, and they just basically tap into this protocol, this messaging protocol. And Jack Dorsey's there, which is insane. Really? Yeah. Uh, Jack Dorsey is basically, yeah. So I'm like, I'm there having conversations with Jack Dorsey on this new messaging app that's completely decentralized. People are running their own relays. I think there's like 130 relays of basically people decentralizing the servers and, 
the guy who stood it up. This is what's so fascinating about it. The guy who stood when, yeah, it up. Yeah, when did it? When did it? Uh, when I think they. I think they did it launch. months ago. But I think they're yeah. just now like getting enough built that people are like starting to sign up in the droves. And the guy just, I saw him tweet. I don't know if we would we call it a tweet. I don't even know what you'd call it. But he just, uh, he just, <laughs> he just, <laughs> he said that none of it would be possible without Bitcoin and Lightning in particular, because like Lightning immediately settles and you can do these micro payments. Yeah. That that's going to be the thing that's going to be the incentive for these people running like their own local relay servers. There's people talking about running apps on like Umbral. It's insane. It's, it's wow. Insane. I'll put a link yeah, in the show. I'll, I'll sign up tomorrow. I'll get in there and <laughs> yeah, it out. check it out, man. I might get my keys. Do you have a, like a username and everything? Just like Twitter or is like yeah. So your your public key is your username. And some of the software clients, like the local or the, or the software clients that you can run on your smartphone or whatever, are getting to the point now where it's going to be like the at symbol, like on Twitter, like okay. at Preston or at James or whatever, that it will auto do like the same stuff that you have with, with Twitter right now. But right now, everyone's using, because it's so early, people are using their public addresses that are associated with their private keys as like their username effectively. Uh, to, to tweet at, but dude, it's wild. It's just like the wild, wild right. west. Looks like it right, has a lot of problems. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Definitely. I'll definitely. send, cool. I'll send you, you a link and then I'll put a link in the show notes for people if they want to check it out. Anyway, let's hop right into this. So the big, the big news, we covered Japan early on. Man. <laughs> we were talking about this. Break it down for people that maybe didn't listen to earlier episodes. Yeah. You and I talked about this. We've been talking about this for months, right? Yeah. And uh, even offline, we've been talking about it quite a bit. But for those who, who haven't been watching Japan, the Bank of Japan, a number of months ago, had declared that they were going to hold their 10-year rates at a certain level, which was 0.25%. Everybody else in the world, the Bank of England, the ECB, the US, everybody's raising rates. And Japan is holding theirs like just barely over water, right? And uh, so the 10-year was being held at 0.25%. It's called yield curve control. They're controlling the, the yield curve of, their, of the different maturities of their government debt. And so doing that, though, as you and I discussed, and you know all this, but doing that, when people can get a better return on a sovereign bond, on a government bond elsewhere, outside of, of that country that's doing that, they're going to sell those bonds and buy the ones that yield better, right? In essence, what happens is it's um, people who are investors in Japanese government bonds were selling those 10 years. They would get yen for those 10-year bonds that they sold. Then they would sell the yen, buy US dollars, and buy the US Treasury 10-year because it makes sense that they could get a better yield. And that's just interest rate arbitrage right there. You know, it's called interest rate parity. Then it just, that's kind of what happens. So there's tremendous pressure that builds up as people are selling all of these treasuries and there's nobody to buy them. So the, the market eventually becomes pretty illiquid and the Bank of Japan has to step in and buy just about every single bond that's being sold in the market, in the open market. Then we would see 
outside the window, the bond trading at crazy levels. And that was hedge funds taking the opposite opposite side of the trade, thinking that eventually that the way they were pegging it at 0.25%, it would break. That's what they were doing. And they were right. And eventually they were right. And uh, because the Bank of Japan ended up over the last number of months, they jumped over the halfway mark that I'm pretty sure no other sovereign has, has jumped over. This is, a, this is a new one, in, at least in the modern era, that the Bank of Japan owns more JGBs, more J- Japanese government bonds than anybody else in the world. They own over 50% of their own debt. So, what, so what do you think that means? <laughs> I mean, it's comical, right? I mean, they're just... They're basically printing money, printing yen and buying their own bonds. But they were doing this and doing this and doing this. And there's and the, the market eventually, and uh, I, I sent you that, uh, that chart, oh, yeah, the, the market eventually pretty much dried up. They, it just wouldn't even trade for days at a time, two or three days at a time. It wouldn't trade the 10-year. For people that are listening and not viewing the, the video on this discussion, you might want to go back and pull up the YouTube version of this discussion because we, we're going to throw up some charts here that James sent me. For the people that yeah, are I'll just listening, talk, through, talk, talk through, yeah. In the United States, we have something that's called the Move Index, and it just it shows the you know it's a volatility index and shows the volatility of our bonds. And as that number gets higher, it's worse. The more volatile it is, it's worse, right? And in this chart, you can see that that orange line it kind of ticks around. Typically, it's typically ticking around one to one and a half, which is a it's just a, a fifteen or twenty percent move from where I'm sorry the on the index level, you can see where it's moving around, and as it goes up, you can see it just spike up to two and a half times, almost three times what it normally is, and that's it's just showing that the the liquidity in the Japanese bond market is completely dry it's drying up, and then on the right hand side, you can see the percentage of ownership, bond ownership of the Japanese government. And you can see it that just rises from 2013, where they owned about 10% of their own bonds to today, where they own over 50%. Clearly, they're the marginal buyer. They're the main buyer. So It's, it's, it's akin to FTX owning all their FTT tokens. I mean, right? <laughs> and that, so now, you, you know, Japan, and so this is what they're doing, right? Japan's got over 260% debt to GDP. Right now, it's a different economy. I know it's a different demographic. They're a net exporter, and it's a, it it's not like the United States. Totally agree. But this just shows the tremendous pressure the manipulation of their monetary policy is having on their debt markets. So then people are talking about, well, it must be that, of course, what happened was Japan is scared of inflation, so they're raising rates. I personally don't think that that's what they're doing. I think that they are, they're kicking the can down the road to maintain this monetary manipulation, right? And there, yes, the next chart you can see here is that they, in a normal yield curve, that your yields are lower the shorter the, the maturity and they're higher the longer the maturity. So this is kind of a, it's kind of a normal yield curve. It should have a little bit different belly to it, but. The thing here is you can just see that the whole yield curve just moved up about 20 basis points from the three, you know, four year treasury on. But what's really interesting is you can see at that back end all the way down the one month, six month up to the, the one year, 
it's barely below zero. So that's it. The, this is the only negative yielding debt that's out there in the world. This is it. This is the last of it, you know, from any major country. This is the only, this is the only place that you can borrow pretty much for free. And so free money, the, the message here is free money is going away for the world. And so risk assets all sold off immediately across the world. You could see all the futures just uh, dive bomb everywhere because they, everybody knows that, well, okay, so free money is going away. If Japan's not even going to have free money, well, who's going to have free money? And if you look at the next chart, you can see that the, this is how much negative yielding debt there was in the world after the, the, the 2008 crisis. So all the way to the left there, you can see it was just a little bit, and then it spikes up after the, the 2008 uh, financial crisis. And it was over $16 trillion of negative yielding debt just last fall, a year ago fall. And now you can see it's just a, a, just a, a smidgen of that. And it's in Japan. This is it, the last of it. That's why the markets are freaking out. And that's why everything is sold off. The risk assets all sold off. Of course, then, you know, the financial snap back in, in Japan because it, it kind of fixes a little bit of their short term, long term debt problem. But when their financials can actually make some money, but it, they're basically, they're resetting. They're joining the debt problem party of the world. They're joining the inflation problem party of the world. And you saw the reaction. It's where we're at. And so, yeah, so this next one is you can see that people ask about the yen and what, what's going on with the yen. And we had talked, you and I had talked about this. And you can see how that spread between the treasuries, the US treasury and the Japanese treasury, the 10 years. How those are the, you know, the 10 years kind of like your benchmark treasury for your country. That's the benchmark that you look at for where your yields are. So in this one, you can see that the, as that difference between the two, moves, so does the yen, almost lockstep. And you could see that as the US, the United States, the US Fed was raising rates while Japan, the, the Bank of Japan was holding theirs at a certain level and that spread widened. Well, of course, that had a negative effect on the yen, just like we're talking about. And the yen jumped over to one, over 150 or 155, right? And since that has happened, the US the U.S., you'd seen the U.S. 10-year kind of wane here in the yields because people are expecting us to go into a recession, which I would agree we are headed headlong into a recession. The 10-year and anything above the 10-year is kind of backing off on those yields, right? So the spread has gotten better and hence the yen has gotten cheaper. So it's not, you know, the, the yen has gotten more expensive for the U.S., but the yen has gotten stronger. But you could see when they changed those rates overnight, we didn't even get to this. So what happened was the other night, the Bank of Japan surprised everybody and said, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to move that window from holding the rates at 25 basis points, we move it up to 50 basis points. So basically doubling the yield on that 10-year treasury, right? And immediately, all the risk assets sold off. The 10-year treasury in, in Japan went straight up to 46 basis points and went right, right toward that level where the Bank of Japan would have to step in and start buying to hold it there, right? The yen took off against the dollar. So it, it became 
there were fewer yen per dollar. And so you can see the yen went all the way down to the 130s, all in an instant reaction. And so everybody freaked out. Nobody predicted this. Nobody predicted that Japan would finally blink. Because as we were talking about, we were saying that Japan's going to try to hold out as long as they can, yeah. hope that yeah. the Fed blinks and starts lowering rates before Japan has to stop their control. That's essentially what happened. They moved, they moved that benchmark. They moved that, the peg to, from 25 basis points to 50 basis points, and everybody freaked out. Bloomberg had surveyed 47 economists. Guess how many had guessed that this would happen? Zero. Zero. Wow. Zero. Not one economist had guessed that this would happen. And so it was like a shock to everybody. And so people are scrambling to figure out, well, is it because they're scared of inflation or that? And like I said, I think it's because they're, they're trying to continue this. They're just moving it to a level. And I think even Lynn was on your show a number of months ago and, and she had said it. She said, look, I think they should have pegged it a little bit higher now that we see where rates are going. But Nobody expected the Fed to be raising this hard, this fast. So, And, and nobody expected not. the market to be able to handle it, I don't think. Exactly. For this long. Exactly. And so, and so because nobody expected that, and certainly not the Bank of Japan. I mean, we didn't, the Fed didn't even expect it. If you read my newsletter last, this last weekend, if you, if you saw it, I showed that the Fed expected the rates to be not even half of what they were at the end of 2022. Back in December of 2021, they had no clue that they were going to be this high. Of course, this is, this is what, this is what the, the, the game of chicken that the Bank of Japan was playing. They lost at least this round. They're trying to stay on that, that game and hope that they can pull it through for the next three months before the Fed has to stop raising rates and the pressure eases. And we'll see. I mean, it's a dangerous game. They're printing a massive amount of money to do this. They just announced they're going to buy another $9 trillion of JGBs monthly to control these yields. $9 trillion. I, I just threw the first chart back up again, which shows the percentage. And you're showing how it's at 50% of them owning it. It seems like in 2022 that it looks like they've added about 3% ownership, I would say, yeah. based on the chart there. And they've been holding it down for so long because they've been, they wanted inflation. They've been battling deflation for years, years there. Decades. Right. Yeah. And I mean, why? They need inflation. Why? Because they have so much debt. Why? Because they need to inflate it away. I mean, it's like, but it's a problem for them. It's an experiment. It yeah. always seemed like the rest of the world wasn't there yet. Like that was the relief valve is they're trying to create it. Because they got there first and the rest of the world wasn't quite there yet as far as the speed at which they got themselves into this indebted quagmire or whatever word you want to use on a global scale, mm -hmm. they just got there first. And now it almost seems like they're the final defender trying to hold the like cheap money down. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. And so when I saw that announcement, I was like... I knew it. I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's it. They're, they're going to have to move it again. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. Oh, I mean, really? I, you think so? Unless we hit recession really quickly in the next, in the, like if we, unless unemployment shoots up and people are out of work and prices just crash and we really hit it hard fast, I think they're going to have to move again because. I mean, look at the, you saw the spread, right? So mm -hmm. if you bring up that last chart again, sorry, we're going yeah. back and forth yeah, yeah. here, but yeah. that last chart, you can see the yen has gotten ahead of itself, right? What's it going to be? Is the spread going to widen? Or I mean, is it going to close or is the yen going to come back? And in that case, it's showing that there's additional pressure. Like it, all things being equal, it looks like the yen should be up around 137. For, mm -hmm. for the percentage moves that, that it's made, when the correlating percentage moves it's made over the history of this, just eyeballing it, it looks at like a three or 4% off from here. And so that something's got to change there. This is going to tighten up. The yen's going to get weaker or that spread's gonna, going to tighten. Either way. Now, so for, for what's, it, what's it going to be? That's it. And they're going to be standing there by. So the, the indications, though, and this is what I was getting. Sorry, Preston. The indication, though, is the last couple of days is that, man, it, there are not a lot of buyers, even at 50 basis points for that 10 year. Yeah. And that Japan's going to have to step in and hold the line. They're going to, what it is, they keep it in a range, right? The fact that it's, it was stuck at 25 basis points for so long tells you was just yeah. such a red flag. And yeah. like, it was like a siren that, you know, like on, they're holding it there, like the, the dam, they're holding it there. If it goes back to 50 basis points and they're doing the same thing, then, you know, you can see. So when you pull the, when you're looking at this slide, 
the light pink, which is kind of in the middle. I think people can see my cursor. This is what James is referring to. The thing was just pegged out at a quarter or 25 basis points for a very long period of time. If it was dipping down and showing like, hey, there were a few buyers there, well, then you know it's not being paid. Liquid market. Yeah. But I mean, it was pegged out for what? One, two, three, four. Everybody was a seller. Yeah. And the Bank of Japan was the buyer, period. And so, I mean, there was literally nobody there. It didn't trade for days. Like they they were, it just would not open their market. Well, that'll probably be the indicator, whether your theory that they're going to have to raise the yield even higher is if it just continues to be pegged out at 50 bips for right. If it, if it gets pegged at like 46, you know that they're staying there buying them. And yeah, if they yeah, just yeah. can't stand it <laughs> and it gets pegged at 48, 48, 49, you know that they're, if it's not moving between 25 and 40 and 50, that's okay. That's a clear indication. <laughs> Number one. Number two, if it doesn't trade for a day, that's a problem. Oh yeah. That was another. And then watch crazy. the end. I think as we enter this, and so this, so where does raises, this, where is this, this the dollar the pop risk. out of it? What's that? So with all this, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So yeah. when I'm looking at all this and I'm saying, okay, so the yen, they did this for the yen to make it stronger, right? That means the dollar should be weakening, but I'm not seeing that in the DXY at all, at least these last two days. Well, what we're seeing, what, hey, look, uh, you know, everybody does their own thing. Everybody, everybody is uh, like, you ha- have your own process, please. Not everybody has the same portfolio or portfolio, you know, makeup, but I'm long the US dollar because I think as, as the world goes into recession, we're going to have a flight to safety and there's going to be a shortage of dollars. And so you're going to have that same phenomenon where people need dollars. So you think so, it's just a correction here in the last like two months? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And look, the cost of capital just went up everywhere, right? So now we're just waiting for the next credit event. Like what's it going to be? What's mm-hmm. going to be the credit event that, you know, what, how, who's it going to push it, push over the edge? We know that, that we know that there's, there are problems out there. We're watching the U S treasuries and even the U S treasuries are not tremendously liquid lately. And if you look at the 10 year, it's been tailing out. What does that mean? I just assume Preston that everybody reads my newsletter. So they know all this <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> Sorry. Or they listen to you. They if, know. So if they don't, we'll have a link in the show notes. What a tale is, is when the bond auction market opens, right? That we have an auction of U.S. treasuries. Well, it trades when issued before that. The dealers and buyers can, they can buy and sell beforehand and kind of guess where it's going to come out. And the last, like, I want to say the last eight out of 10 or seven out of nine auctions has been tailing, which means that the demand was lower than they thought in the auction. So the, the dealers were, they guessed that the demand was going to be higher. And we just keep seeing that. And so as that, as that keeps happening, you know that we're, people are getting, they're getting worried. And the balance sheets are for the, the private owners of these bonds. They're running out of room on their balance sheet. We're, we're, we're issuing so much debt. Right, so let's, yeah. So what do you have up here? So this is the U.S. Uh, bond yield curve. Yeah, um, over time, so people can see when it inverted, just by the durations there, the colors on the on the chart. You can see how the one year is providing the highest yield, and you got the ten year and the thirty year providing the lowest yield. Yeah. So for your listeners, a perfect example. This is a perfect graphic of of the market is telling us it expects rates to come down next year. 
there, there are a number of reasons for that, but the primary reason for, for that happening is that it signals a coming recession. Typically somewhere around, you know, six months to a year out, you can see that that started happening back in October, end of October. I remember correctly some yeah. of these and it's coming. It's coming. You know, when I'm, when I'm looking at the inflation here in the U S it seems like maybe it's about to like, it's stalling out and that we're going to start to see a deflationary fit or deflation start to come back in 2023. But whenever I look at you, I use car now <laughs> true. But when I look at Europe, it doesn't seem like you're seeing that at all. It seems like Energy. it's it's just going crazy over there. Energy, and, man. They haven't. They, well, and, I, it, well right? and so like my, I guess where, where I'm going with that is, is there going to be a spillover effect from Europe who can't get inflation under control that even though everybody's looking at these, these credit charts and they're saying, hey, you know, historically over the last 40 years, when we see this inversion, 12 months later, we're, we're in a deep recession and we go through these deflationary prices. The, the Fed has to step in, reflate it. The, you know, the typical scenario that everyone has become accustomed to for 40 years. Conditioned to. Conditioned to think. Yeah. And so are we in a different dynamic with Europe specifically that, they, that they're not getting inflation under control and that they were extremely late to raising rates? They were so late. I still, I could not believe that I was, I was looking at their, at their policy in July. They were still negative rates. They, they still yeah. were and, at and running double digit inflation. Overnight rate. Nuts. I think that, uh, look, you know how I feel about Christine Lagarde. I think that, yeah. I mean, the incompetence is monumental. It's absolutely monumental. Yeah. I think that they're going to go headlong into a recession. It's going to be harder than ours. They can't print energy. Let's see. Let's see what happens this winter. I'm actually, I'm worried for people out there. You know, we talk about it in numbers and we talk, these are people's lives, man. These are people's lives. You have inflation. that's absolutely stealing their, their stored energy from their work. Raging. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. And they're like, well, you know, some people will lose their jobs. Unbelievable. And the people who even keep their jobs are not keeping up. And some people are going to, they're going to be throttled on their energy usage. Some people will, even if they don't freeze, tremendously uncomfortable for a season, you know? I guess where I'm going with the it, manipulation James, is, yeah. It's, it's so crazy. go ahead. Sorry. I got <laughs> off in a little rabbit trail there. I got off my soapbox. I'm so, I'm so irritated with the manipulation. I'm afraid that we're looking at things that are very US centric here and we're saying, hey, all the signs are pointing to deflation sure. setting in and, rates coming down and us going through this normal, I don't know if I would call it normal, but what appears to be a cycle. When I look at Europe, I'm not seeing anything like that. And I'm yeah. seeing inflation raging, the, a central bank that's grotesquely behind the curve. And they're probably going to have to step in at a time where you got double digit inflation and add more units, fiat units into the, into the game. And I'm just thinking, like, what's the knock-on effect to the U.S.? What's the knock-on effect to Japan uh, like, in, in the well, global economy? Well, when the U.S. goes to a recession, then everybody's going to follow. You know, I mean, we're going to drag everybody into a global recession, period. The problem is, like you're saying, that I think Europe lands harder. They just land that much harder. They were that much later. They, must, they, they land that much harder. 
So when we look at what causes inflation, everyone wants to immediately say, oh, it's the money printer, it's adding more units, because that's really easy to understand and it's just intuitive. What I think a lot of people fail to realize is if you have really bad policy and it's breaking the supply side of society, you get inflation because instead of 10 people being able to supply widget A, there's one company that's providing widget A because the other nine went out of business because they couldn't afford the electricity expenses, right? Is maybe that a better characterization of what's happening in Europe is they've just had such horrific policy that they're not going to be able to get inflation under control and and maybe they're in some type of spiral at this point because of those policies? It's an absolutely the the add on the the derivative effects of all the energy policy has been it's been breathtaking. And so you're seeing it. You're seeing it everywhere. That's why they, they just had to raise. And you heard the UK and the ECB recently say that we're going to raise higher and longer like the US because they're shocked. They're shocked with, I mean, oh, that's what happens. Oh. Yeah. So I, I think that you're right. I do. I think you're, I think you're spot on and um, they're I'm, going to sacrifice some of the weaker countries and that's the problem. So you're going to see problems start to crop up in the credit markets in Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece, they're going to start cropping up. Mm. That's the problem. They're sacrificing their, those economies and they're going to go down hard first. And then unfortunately, Germany's going to take the debt load for all of it. So people, you know, this is a Bitcoin show. People are hearing all this and they're saying, all right, James, well, just explain it to me like I'm wearing a mask in my car driving down the road by myself, uh, which was one of the more funnier <laughs> memes I heard on TV, That's or not on TV, on Twitter. What am I saying? But explain this to people. What does this mean in Bitcoin terms for them? You know, it's interesting is that you're seeing Bitcoin kind of hold in here and as we go into this kind of recession with with rates rising, you want to hold hard monies. You know, you want to hold things like gold and silver and Bitcoin because you're having inflation at the same time as you're having as you go into a you're having inflation, then you have a recession and rising rates at the same time. All of the risk assets kind of they kind of crash, right? But you want to you want to own those assets that that will store your value. I think this is going to be a big test for Bitcoin, personally. I think it's going to be a big test. I don't personally think we've seen the bottom yet because as we hit a recession and risk assets sell off, you do have major holders of Bitcoin in particular that are going to need need to raise money. They're going to need to sell Bitcoin to pay margin calls on other assets, for instance, even if they don't have their Bitcoin margined. It's going to be one of the first things they sell. I think you just have to be careful. That said, I do think that once we do get through this period and into the next year and and toward the end of the year, I think that things like gold and Bitcoin rip, you know, I think that they, they do, they do exceedingly well. Those are the things that I'm looking at. How about this for, for the bot, whenever that bottom comes, let's say we hit a bottom in six months from now, Mm -hmm. from right now to that point, to that bottom. Does Bitcoin outperform the S&P 500? Does it outperform the NASDAQ, the, the major risk on indices? I personally think it does. I think it does. And I think that both because it's, you're seeing how it's reacting right now, I think that we felt the majority of the pain. 
I could see the S&P and, you know, the NASDAQ going down another 20, 30%. I mean, that could absolutely happen. If we hit recession really hard, you, you're looking at multiples. We won't get into this. It's not really a market show, but if you look at multiples, they're just not pricing in the forward earnings. They're just not pricing in the cost of capital yet and the, yeah. the, the, the decrease of earnings. I think it does outperform, but that doesn't mean that it's going to do well. I saw Yuri and Timmer. I think Yuri and uh, Timmer from Fidelity just came out with a very similar chart, kind of backing up what you're saying is the earnings aren't priced in. Yeah, they're not priced into risk on at this point at all. Yeah. So I'd be careful. I would add opportunistically. If look, if Bitcoin gets decimated, it goes down to nine, twelve thousand dollars, I would start backing it up. Back up the boat, you know, but back up the truck. But you know, don't lose your keys out of the boat. Or maybe you do. So you're just um, taking those Bitcoins straight onto the boat. Exactly. <laughs> Just, I have a truck. <laughs> so, you only pick um, them up at the port. <laughs> it's late. We're getting loopy. Yeah. So that's how I feel. But I, I would be, I would just caution people. That's all. You know, I don't, you can't say, oh, it's different. This is it. All I can say is that I'm seeing signs that look like we're going to hit, we're going to hit hard. I don't think the Powell is going to let us get decimated. I don't think he's going to allow that, but I do think he's going to push it right to the precipice, which means that he wants risk assets to sell off across the board because he knows that that will tamp down inflation. He knows it, and that's important for him and his legacy. And so that's his primary. Does he get it down to 2%? I don't think so. Like I said before, I think that he's going to get it in going the right direction and then declare victory. It's going the right way. You're down to like four and a half, five percent. That's all good. And then we're just going to knock around between three and five percent for the foreseeable future so we can inflate away our, our past debt, which you and I have talked about before, too. But look, you're seeing everything. All the data is it's so clear, right? I mean, you, the inverted yield curves, you got housing demand is falling off a cliff. You've got consumer credit is rising while interest rates are spiking and the savings rate is dropping off, the, uh, off a cliff. And if you look at the different income levels and the different quartiles, that savings, it's all consolidated at the top income level. You've got, at the same time, you've got banks that are tightening their lending standards across the board. As interest rates are, they're up. Jobless claims are starting to tick higher. You've got weak PMI numbers. It's all pointing that way. You know, I I don't see anything that says, oh no, we're going to be fine. We're going to pull right through. My concern the way I think they're going to go about handling this. So for the past decade, prior to COVID, they could step in with a massive amount of QE. And at the first signs that things were becoming stressed, and I mean, it was just just a shotgun blast right into the market because they could not produce inflation. And so they kept doing this for a decade. Mm -hmm. It's like, no matter what they did, no matter how much liquidity they brought to the market, it just didn't seem to do anything to, to create, quote unquote, inflation. So now they get it and they get it in a major way. And I think a lot of it goes back to what I was saying earlier about policy and breaking supply chains and and those types of things. So they get it in a major way. They're raising aggressively. And I think it was Powell who said it recently that they're going to be more surgical with how they step into the market to provide liquidity where it's needed and where they're seeing stress points. We saw this over in the UK, right? Perfect example of a surgical response. 
So my concern is they're going to keep doing these quote unquote surgical responses, plugging the holes in this dam, like with their fingers and their toes and everything else, only for the systemic part of it to only get bigger and bigger and bigger until literally the dam breaks open. And then the response isn't going to be surgical. It's going to be such a fire hose 4X what they did with COVID. And the numbers are going to be so substantial now that they're just completely meaningless to everybody. They were meaningless in 2008, 2009, but it's People, people are, are numbed by them. They're yeah. totally numb by it. They're conditioned to be like, oh, well, what's different? It's another trillion dollars. It's another trillion Remember dollars. We talked about the trillion dollar coin. Well, now you need like 10 of them. You yeah. Know? yeah. Joe Weisenthal, you know, there you go, Joe. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, back to the show. I see exactly what you're saying, but that's exactly what they are doing. And we're watching them. We've heard Yellen say it, and she's kind of, she's dancing around the idea of shoring up the treasury market because everybody knows that the treasury market has to stay liquid it has to stay orderly, period. It drives the world. If the, if the U.S. Treasury market breaks, forget it. It's over. 
I mean, it's absolutely over. Everything revolves around the US treasury market. It's still the reserve asset of the world. That's where they're plugging those holes. And then eventually they pull a string that they hadn't thought of, or this, it's so complex, this whole system. And they've manipulated so severely that they, they pull a string that they hadn't thought of. So you were talking to me, you were asking me about the, the Fed remittances. For the people, for your listeners, and it's already been an hour, so I don't know how much longer you want to go, but you know, for your listeners, and there it is, Preston just brought up a chart that shows the liabilities and the earnings, basically the remittances that the Fed pays the U.S. Treasury. So the Fed typically makes money and they remit that to the Treasury every single month, right? And so actually they do no, 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 no. more often, yeah. But the problem is that you've seen it here fall off a cliff and now they are running such a deep deficit. I mean, they're losing money every single month that it's such a tremendous amount that you see this tight band, the, the, the amount of money that they sent to the treasury every single time they had to send it. And then it just fell off a cliff, literally fell off a cliff when, when we started raising rates. Well, why? Because the Fed bought all those U.S. treasuries in, in, during QE. And it receives interest payments. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. I can't believe this is our system. Oh my God. So they can't be, legally, the Fed can't buy treasuries in auction. So the dealers buy them and then they sell them to the Fed. And basically the deal, the, the Fed gives the dealers money and says, Hey, buy this one. It's like you're, you're an 18 year old and you're like, Hey, can you go buy me the six pack? You know? <laughs> But you're 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the Fed buy the, the bought all these uh, treasuries from the U.S. Treasury through their, their buyer, through their dealer. I mean, literally the dealer, right? So they've got them. And they're, they, so they receive interest payments from the Treasury on those. But the Fed pays the bank's interest payments on the bank's reserves that are at deposit at the Fed, right? On deposit at the Fed, plus the, the uh, reverse repo overnight window. So they're, they're paying them interest on that. Okay, here's the problem. The Fed bought all these treasuries in QE that are yielding half a percent to a percent and a third or something. Yet, now they're, they've raised rates so much that they're paying the banks to and, not lend an overnight rate and their reserve, they're paying them a rate that's far above that. So they're losing massive amounts of money. I mean, I three, what, 300 if, billion a year. If you, you know, 300 if, billion, two to $300 billion a year. That's yeah. right. It's like $500 million a day, right? Yes. yes. That they're paying these guys. Basically it's impaired their balance sheet. So now the fed has this loss that they're running every single month, but they're supposed to be sending money up to the treasury. Yet they have this loss. So like they have this hole. They literally have a hole in their balance sheet. And they're like, well, we're going to call it a deferred asset. Say that again. They're we're calling call it, it a, deferred a deferred asset. asset. So it's not really that we're losing money. It's just that we haven't made the money that we're going to make yet to pay the treasury. So we're going to call it a deferred asset. And then they're calling it an asset because it, they're basically saying it's going to offset future remittances. <laughs> <laughs> to the treasury once that net interest margin inverts comes back if it ever <laughs> it comes, comes back. back and it's positive again it's just fancy accounting it's just it's it's ludicrous but that's what they're doing and so now as they're 
until basically the Fed flooded banks with cash and kept rates on the reserve high enough so they would keep those trillions of dollars out from flooding into the economy, right? Exactly. And that's the so what, James. That's the so what is, exactly. is these banks are flooded with cash. And so how can we make sure that they don't lend this money out? Well, we've got to pay an interest rate. We have to pay a competitive interest rate to the rest of the market to make right. sure that all this money that these banks are squatting on doesn't get out to everyday citizens or else we'd have where's, inflation. But where's that money coming from that exactly. they're giving them? They're giving them this they're, money they don't have. They're printing so it. There's, they're printing it <laughs> and giving it to them anyways. Yeah. Now they're doing it to the tune of $500 million a day. I don't, I'd like some of that. You want some of that? We're well, not getting into that. But anyway, so it's, but it's money that's going, it, it is going into the system, right? This is, this they're, is they're, James, this is what's so crazy to me. If we, if we were going to quantify $300 billion, like this is almost half the budget of the US DOD, which is $800 billion a, a year. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're almost at half the DOD yeah. budget. And so what is it? It's interest <laughs> expense being paid directly to the too big to fail banks. And then they're just right. slapping it on their balance sheet. And then That's what right. are they doing with that? They're going to go buy more treasuries and put those on deposit so that they can get more interest income. It's insane. I need to add that to my button here on my mixer so I can just play it. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. So here's the string, right? They're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine because we're, you know, we're making money and we're going to send it back up the treasury. It's no, you know, this all works when rates are at zero, but now that the rates are inverted, they're, they're, <laughs> they're paying so much more on the overnight than they're getting for their 30 year and the, you know, whatever they bought. So now they've got a hole in their balance. We haven't even talked about the fact that they, they, they don't even, they don't mark to market their treasuries that they own. Yeah. That are down 25%. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Hey, man. You know what? Can we make that I know a deferred that we asset? All these can, treasuries we, can we make that and a deferred now, asset? You know, I'm, I got my head, I'm, not, I'm my private equity, my hedge fund. I, I know we bought all these treasuries and they're sitting on a balance sheet and they're down 25%, but you know what? We're just going to wait it out. So we're not going to mark them. That doesn't fly for anybody. Any, anybody. So they don't mark them and they print money to give to the banks every day, $500 million a day. So that's what happened. That's what's happening. And definitely shout out to Luke Groman because he's he's been all over this too. And it's been yeah. uh, he's all over it. And he takes it even further, saying that it's just it's a form of QE that we're just dumping money and it's and it could lead to more inflation in the United States. I don't know. I've got to work that I've got to work that through because the rates going up, we're so levered as an economy. I think it just, it, it completely overwhelms this level of QE. I think that we're so levered that we need massive amounts of QE to turn this, like we are the, what is it, QE2? The, the Queen of England's uh, massive ship that uh, you can, you could chop. That's what we're doing here. We've got to, like turning that thing around. It's not like a helicopter, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> it is insane. And I think for most that are just hearing all the fancy terminology, like at the end of the day, if you were going to put these in business terms, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely asinine what's, what's asinine. happening. This company is defunct. Yeah. But somebody gave somebody, basically it's a company that has an endless checkbook. You know, you know, when you got your first checkbook 
and you're thinking, I could just write checks. <laughs> yeah. I could write checks. Yeah, you do think that. But then it? you realize, oh, somebody's going to cash my need my, the money in the account. You know, you're like, what, yeah. 14 years old, right? This is what it is. They just have a checkbook. <laughs> Nobody's checking the bank account. It's okay. They, they, you know, they have a... I think the funniest part of the academics that then go and wave their hands in the air and say that this oh, is all no, justified it's like and it's normal. You're, you're distorting the reality. You know, it's not really like that. You can't look at it like that. Recently, you uh, you're getting involved in a fund that's doing distressed debt. Talk to us just in in general about distressed debt and help people understand because you and Greg Foss and some others that are involved in this, uh, Larry Lepard, you guys are extremely smart and have experience in this area, and it can be a really lucrative, especially with what we're about to go into. If you can get your timing right with raising the, the funds and what you're yeah. able to step in and buy and find value in things that are distressed, talk to us about some of this stuff. I'm super excited. That's why I've been working on. That's why I haven't been on no- Noster. But I'm launching a, a hedge fund with my co-managing partner is, uh, is David Foley. And he's, uh, he is Larry Lepard's, one of the, his partner in his hedge fund. So we've got Larry and Greg, Greg Foss. Mark Moss, and those are the main operating partners. And then we just partnered with Swan. So Corey's going to be on our board and working with us as well. And Corey Clipson. What it is, is, and you're right, it's a lot of it's timing. It's a distressed asset and distressed bond fund where we're looking at, and it's all focused on Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ecosystem. So companies that, that need money that are in distress, we've seen it in the miners. You're starting to see it in some of the smaller companies, some of the Bitcoin financial companies, some of the hardware wallet companies that raise money. They need more money, but the the space has dried up. It's been really tough. Here's the tough part is that people get scared in these markets, but there's tremendous value out there. And it's to help these companies that are so important, but also that as an investor, you can do really well. It's the one that's a gut check that you have to step in to the market now when it like, as it's starting to get really ugly in this world. And I can't say too much, but we've been in some of these bankruptcy data rooms and where they're selling assets uh, from these companies and they're, they're selling for some of them are, are pennies on the dollar. You've got this tremendous opportunity to help those companies and to get a great rate of return for your investors for helping them and helping grow this ecosystem. But that's it. We're focused on the Bitcoin ecosystem and that's it. No other crypto. What we can do, we can do both private and public investments. And so that's our advantage. We've done between us, we've got like 150 years of hedge fund, private equity, venture capital and experience doing anything from distressed convertible bonds all the way up and down the capital uh, structure. We've done arbitrage. We've done CDSs. I mean, you know, option strategies. And a number of us has been, have been investing in Bitcoin for years. And so we have people like you and our network of contacts that we see a lot of stuff. So it's exciting. That's about all I can say about it is for accredited investors. I can't pitch it or anything, but that's, that's what we're doing. We're excited. We think we have something here that, and I love my partners. They're, they're all, like you said, super smart, super driven, and they're good guys. Awesome, man. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Yes, such a pleasure. Give people a handoff. I know you're active on Twitter. 
I'll have a link in the show notes for your newsletter, but yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Off. thank you, Preston. I love coming on here. Uh, you always ask the right, the, the engaging questions you're, you're on top of it. So it's fun and you're super smart, but, uh, yeah, I'm active on Twitter, just at James lavish. And I have the newsletter that's called the informationist. And it's just, I take one financial concept and break it down super simply every Sunday. I believe this Sunday's Christmas. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll be skipping that one because I am going to be with family and that's important. But uh, every single week it comes out and I think it's something that just helps people, whether you're in finance or you're not, it'll give you an explanation of, of some of the topics and some of the big buzzwords you keep hearing from week to week. I love doing it. It's fun. And I really like making people smarter. So it's fun. I like it. I can tell you as a reader of it, like this one that you just published this past week with the dot plots, it's so helpful. And it's grounded in first principle thinking. And so for people that hear a lot of these terms and stuff, I think it's such a great tool to kind of go in there and just read. I know myself, I feel like I'm versed on some of the stuff, but it's so great to go back and kind of read some of your material because it's just it's grounding you in some of the ideas that, you know, sometimes you, you think you might understand something and then you read something like that and you're just like, okay, so I really didn't have a firm understanding of what I thought I knew. So <laughs> kudos awesome. to you in the newsletter. I love it. Well, I'm flattered that you read it and I'm, I'm glad it helps. I'm glad it helps the people that read it. I really do like that. So thank you, Preston. And I love coming on here. Look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. So, Thanks, um, James. Maybe we'll be on Noster. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, man. All right. We'll see you. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So, Anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.